if you take a, a step back and you look at the what's happening in the US, uh, the SMEs, SMBs are pretty poorly served when it comes to cross-border payments. And a lot of these community banks and, and regional banks are trying to service them, but they're in turn poorly serviced by the larger corresponding banks. And, and you see kind of with, with increased globalization, demand is going up for the service, but actually supply is coming down as a lot of these larger banks, are, I guess, de-risking their portfolios. Um, and it's, there's no clear ROI to, to support the community and regional bank segment. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. International payments and money transfer firms are among the first of this generation's fintech leaders. But even if they offer white label or API solutions, companies like TransferWise are typically strongly focused on an end customer. Currency Cloud takes a different approach, helping other fintechs, community banks, and FIs to offer international payments and FX. Standard Bank, Moniz, Starling Bank, Klarna, and TravelX are all customers. Currency Cloud co-founder Richard Arndell moved to the U.S. a couple years ago to spearhead the U.K. firm's expansion there. We talk about the nature of different geographic approaches to fintech and how big tech payment solutions are the biggest threat to banks and fintechs alike. Richard Arundel is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So I'm Richard Arundel. Uh, I am co-founder and currently general manager for North America for Currency Cloud. Um, as you'll tell by my accent, I am a native um, Englishman, but I moved over to the US about 18 months ago um, over here to New York. An Englishman in New York. So how did that transition go? Well, I've... I've got three young children, and when when we decided that I was going to come out here, I had two young children, and then two weeks later, my my wife kind of dropped the bombshell that number three was on the way. So I actually had my my very own kind of American American baby. So he was born out here. So the transition was was fine from a work point of view, um, a little bit hectic from a, a family point of view. But listen, I mean, it's, they're both you know, cosmopolitan cities, and from from just outside London, and, and worked in London. So uh, the transition has actually been pretty smooth. So I want to come back to New York as part of um, your your distribution, your, your expansion strategy. But can can you tell the audience a little bit about what Currency Cloud is? And I I personally would like to hear um, where the idea came from, like what the genesis story was. Yeah, sure. So so Currency Cloud is a is a payments platform. Um, it's a cross border payments platform. We help, I guess, other businesses service their customers better when it comes to FX and cross border payments. Um, we're we're a tech company. Ultimately, our I guess our strategy is a, a B2B to X model. So we aren't mm-hmm. direct to market. We work with banks, FIs, other fintechs, um, who, who ultimately are the ones who, who face the market directly. Um, we've been currency cloud since I think 2012 is when we branded as, as currency cloud. We actually started the company back in kind of end of 08, kind of early 2009 which if you cast your memory back, was a great time to set up a financial services company. <laughs> and was, um, it, <laughs> was it a pivot to go B2B to X or, or did you start out with that, that concept? That was always the idea. We, we did spend, I guess, the early months, maybe up to a year, um, servicing some customers directly. We had a, a direct-to-customer brand and that was really um, a case of, I guess, funding the growth of the the business our, our model was was always around that the gap that we saw in the market was um there has to be a better way to service customers who are ultimately servicing their, their end customers and if we can do that via technology then then all the better you know this this was i guess the um the start of the rise of fintech back then um and you had a, a lot of what are now um you know, re- really interesting companies kind of being born around that time so we well, and it, it went against the grain of, of some of those, Richard, right? The fact most of those companies back then were B2C. Um, 
right. they were, and, and, and some of them, you know, we, we know very well, and, and some of them are, are still our customers. And I think whilst they were B2C, you know, I, I guess our model was, and, and I come from a, my, my last company, um, and one of my other co-founders' last companies was a, a, a B2C and, and B2B you know, direct-to-market company. Um, we were working with a kind of a lot of referral partners, and, and really the gap we saw was, um, you know, how can we enable companies to service their customers better. We never went into it saying, how can we grow a huge B2C presence or a B2B presence? It was always around that, you know, being, being I guess, the plumbing. Think of us as like the AWS of payments. You know, we handle that messiness so our customers can then, I guess, take the credit and, and service customers um, from a really cool kind of UX point of view. And so who are those customers that, I mean, you can name a couple by name, but like, what, is there a typical demographic, a typical industry? Um, what, what makes them unique? So a big part of our, our business, certainly from EMEA, is, I guess, the NEO, the challenger bank type um, customers. So think of people like um, Starling Bank, think of people like Monzo, um, those type of companies. And it's a big thing in EMEA at the moment. I think less so in the US in terms of cross-border payments. I think a lot of the, um, the challenger type banks are mainly focused on kind of middle, middle America savings. So there isn't a huge... Um, cross-border payment requirement at the moment um, but kind of neo banks and then larger banks so think kind of standard bank of south africa you think um, other companies like travelex is quite a well-known brand and that's one of our customers um, so kind of really exciting brands some kind of digitally native customers and some kind of digital transformers who are looking to, to i guess catch up with with the, the digital transformation and over here in the us we have a i guess we have two clear markets we have one is the what we call the mid-tier banking segment um, and by mid-tier we're kind of sub 10 billion dollars um, or sub kind of 12 billion dollars um, so I think someone like Brookline Bank um, mm -hmm. up in Boston um, so they're a kind of typical customer uh, for us and the other category we look at is um, thanks to our marketing team actually I like sticking a knife into marketing uh, but it's a catch-all of fintech and we call it call it fintech but really this is around uh, kind of integrated payment solutions uh, so this could be a, a, a B2B marketplace. It could be a, uh, a lending firm, so like sellers funding, provides mm -hmm. kind of lending to, uh, to marketplace uh, companies. So anybody who's looking to, I guess, integrate and own the customer experience when it comes to, comes to the payment side of business. Angie, so, so the Brookline Bank, just to go back to, I just want to make sure I'm clear, um, you're integrated into their online offering um, and they're offering you to their end customer. Is that correct? Yes. So we, we have we have two models. We have an integrated offering. I mean, we're we're an API company, so API mm -hmm. is 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 in is in our blood. However, we do have a um a kind of a white labeled front end, a white labeled GUI. So actually, with Brookline, they this was a um a go to market um strategy for them, which was how can we quickly get to market? We need to service our customers. I think if you if you take a step back and you look at the what's happening in the US, uh, the SMEs SMBs are pretty poorly served when it comes to cross border payments. And a lot of these community banks and, and regional banks are trying to service them, but they're in turn poorly serviced by the larger corresponding banks. And, and you see kind of with, with increased globalization, demand is going up for the service, but actually supply is coming down as a lot of these larger banks, are, I guess, de-risking their portfolios. Um, and it's, there's no clear ROI to, to support the community and regional bank segment. So from a, a Brookline point of view, they wanted to be able to go to market, service this increasing demand from their, their increasingly global customers. And you all know how bank work, uh, banks work. Um, they, the challenge a lot of them have is they have 
these outdated legacy systems, the, the pace of innovation is, is, is quite slow. It takes a huge amount of time to get from R&D into actually development. But with a, a fully branded front-end platform, they can get to market in, in a few weeks and, and put something in front of their customers. They can also use that internally um, to at least you know, um, stay up with, with this pace of demand that their, their customers have. So one of the uh, common themes on Tearsheet is, is sort of this, it started out as more as competition between like challengers versus incumbents. Um, now we're talking obviously more about competition, um, collaboration between the two. Um, wh- how do you see this playing out? I mean, you service the, the, some of these banks, like are, are challengers, obviously they're, they're acquiring a lot of new and opening a lot of new accounts, but do you see them displacing sort of the incumbent industry over time? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's a good question. And I think, as I said, if I, if I use the experience in EMEA, um, and w- where the challenger banks are there, I, th- I think at the moment where we are is the challenger banks are doing a really good job of bringing um, these additional services um, to, to, the, to the market. So if, if I take our, our business in terms of, kind of payments and FX, they're delivering that in a, in a much better way to their, their customers. I think it would be really interesting to dive into the, the stats of um, actually are these challenger banks taking away the whole account from, from the incumbents? And that's really, I think, what, what people care about is, and, and banks have traditionally made their money in kind of loans, deposits, et cetera. That's what they, what, what they care about. Um, and whilst they're acknowledging the requirement to add additional services, especially in, 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 in the wave of um, kind of digital, um, how are these, you know, how successful have these income, uh, sorry, have these, uh, challenger banks being actually stealing the whole account away from these incumbents and that, that's actually I, I don't know the answer to that but I think when they start to do that that's when they become an existential threat to these incumbents. And I guess as a, as a corollary to that question um, what role would payments play in them sort of being able to take the whole account? Like do you see what I'm saying? Yeah I guess it a lot of it depends on the makeup of their customers uh, and, and the types of business they're going after. Um, but ultimately, if you, if you look at the how um, globalization has, has been a factor over the last, I guess, five or six years, um, it's a reality. It's, it's part of our everyday life. People are sending money overseas. And, and from a, a North American point of view, people are, are expecting to receive money overseas and not in dollars anymore. Mm-hmm. And you, you want to send your money to euros and sterling in, in Japanese yen, whatever it might be. So I think payments will become an increasingly important factor. Um, and, and if these challenges, um, all, all the incumbents, I mean, listen, the, the incumbents are aware of this. And I think it's, a, it's just a priority decision at the moment. Um, but if these uh, challenges can offer a seamless user experience, and for me, this doesn't come down to price. And we, we can talk about that. This is all around the user experience. We live in this kind of, I guess, on-demand economy. Um, you sometimes refer it to as like a, a lazy economy. People just want to press a button and see their payment go. And I think that will become quite an important aspect of, of where a, um, an, an SME or a corporate decides to place their business. Um, and if they can offer them, and if they're offering them more and more services that are delivered seamlessly digitally and offer a really, really good user experience, then these guys are, are going to increasingly win. And I guess you have competition from the banks coming from a different direction too. I mean, we just read recently about um, Facebook's payment solution, you know, adopting a, a blockchain solution. Um, but definitely big tech is, is rolling out payment solutions if they don't have one already. Um, how do you see 
their role um, competitively in the marketplace? We've, we've discussed it a lot. And I think the next couple of years will tell us a lot. And, and by big tech, you know, I look at people like, and, and Facebook's interesting, but mm-hmm. I look at people like Amazon mm-hmm. and how much of a threat are they going to be both to um, fintech and also to, to incumbent banks? Yeah, and, and would Amazon ever get to a stage where they would be offering loans and deposits? Now, I don't think they need to. Um, I don't think someone like Amazon will necessarily need to take on the... Um, I guess the financial burdens and the challenges of, of actually offering a, a full banking service, what they will, will probably end up doing is consuming lots of other services that they could, they could again roll out to their, their ecosystem. Um, that is probably a threat, I think, um, because you know, they've got lots of money, right? Uh, and ultimately, if they, if they decide to do stuff, and if you, if you read a lot of the recent reports around you know, Bezos saying, there's a lot that goes on underneath um, underneath the outside PR in Amazon that you just don't hear about. And they have so many projects that are kind of like, they try, they fail, they try again. So they could be, they could be looking at this to say, actually, you know, especially in the payment side of things, I could just go and do this. I'll spend a couple of years, I can build this out. I could take out a bunch of these fintechs without, without even thinking about it because it's becoming you know, such a behemoth. Um, so it, it is a threat. Um, again, I think it depends where their priorities lie. Um, and, and actually, do they want to offer something that's, you know, if you look at what Amazon is, they've got such a, a, a big ecosystem. Are they just trying to um, service that ecosystem or are they looking to say, actually, I could use um, an Amazon, Amazon payment system and take that out to the wider market? Um, just want to go back to Currency Cloud now, I guess, and, and realign the, the conversation. So the company was, was started in, in the UK, is that correct? And then um, you came out to, uh, to the US to run the business. Why was it important for a co-founder to, to come out and run the US business? So what, what, I guess, what role does it play in, in your view of going to market? Really good question and, and something we, we've discussed a lot because we're, we're, we're opening up other offices uh, kind of globally as well. So we, we, we started in, in London, headquartered in London. Um, we came out to the US in kind of late 2014. But when I say came out to the US, we did what a lot of people do is we, you know, we stuck a couple of people in a WeWork office and under the, the naive um, impression that the business would be very similar to the UK. But I think you know, payments in, in North America certainly in terms of kind of fintech adoption is is probably four or five years behind so we didn't have i guess that that current cloud dna out here in the us for the first few years and we tried to build it um i think going back to that decision in, in late 2014 it was looking at ourselves we we kind of looked at ourselves and said we need to have a global presence the us is a um the largest economy in the world we need to be out there so we stuck a couple of people and i don't think we gave it the support we should have done so I came out here in 2017, and as a co-founder, I, I have that kind of DNA here. So I think what I brought in the decision to bring me out here was a link between HQ and, and, and the North American office that we hadn't had before. And, and we, the previous decision was someone who really understands the US market rather than someone who really understands our value proposition and the problems that we're, we're helping to solve. So we probably got that wrong. So I think understanding the U.S. market um, is probably the easy part, actually. Uh, understanding. Do you, do you have a lot of hands-on contact with customers in the U.S.? Me personally. You personally, yeah. 
I do. I, I, my background actually before coming out here was I, I was running, I, I guess, our, our post-sale division, which involved account management, customer service, um, implementation teams. So I had a, a lot of um, hands-on um, experience back then as well. It's something that I enjoy doing. And a big part of our, the segments that we've chosen to go after is all around referenceability. And it's, they, they, they want to hear what we're all about. So I think in, in the US, there's, a, there's still a huge kind of education gap in terms of cross-border payments and, and mm-hmm. the solutions to that. So I, where I can, I, I speak to you know, most, if not all of our customers. Um, and I'm not selling them, my, my, you know, the teams that we have are, are the experts in that. Uh, this is really, and for me, it's, it's understanding. I'm still really interested. I think, it's, I think most other co-founders would, would share the um, same sentiment. They're just generally interested in the types of customers that they're, they're servicing. It's a really good story for us. It's, it fills me with you know, a huge amount of pride when we sign, we sign our customers and just to understand their story. And I think it is, it is I guess, a collaborative sale. Because if you think about back to our business model, ultimately, we, you know, we, we aren't selling direct to market. We're selling to the companies who, who, who have the customers themselves. So together, we're thinking about the solutions to the problems of, of the end market, which is, I guess, quite a unique position that we're in. That curiosity is a really interesting point as a, from a founder perspective. And, and when you find you go into the customers, um, this is still about currency cloud, like, are you competing against sort of an in-house solution? Are you competing against other vendors? Like, like where do you see the competition coming from in the U.S. specifically and in the U.K.? <clears throat> um, so in, in the U.S. specifically, it's, a lot of the time it's the banks. If you, if you look at the flow of funds, the, the banks still control kind of 93% of yep. cross-border payments when it comes to the US. So a lot of the time it's, it's, it's the bigger banks. And if we're talking about the banking segment, they kind of have, I guess, three choices. They either stick with their current banking solution, they either build something themselves, um, and both of them aren't ideal, or they look for an outside vendor. So really it's, it's, it's either um, competing internally, and with uh, and a lot of people don't have that, I guess, in-house experience when it comes to cross-border in the US, or it's competing against the, the larger banks. In in EMEA, um, and and also in kind of Southeast Asia, there are um, other other companies like us that we compete against, depending on the segment that we're going after. And and I think that's a great thing. Listen, we welcome competition in our industry because I think competition helps build the market, um, and especially. Um, when it comes to kind of payments, especially when you're up against the banks who control such a large proportion of that pie, um, having kind of two or three people attack it and, and you know, their competition, but we're also, we, we speak to them a lot about the challenges of the industry. You see them at events, you see them at panels. Um, but really in the US, it's, it's more the, the bigger banks that we compete against. So Richard, we have time for one last question. Uh, I'm curious if you could share um, a little bit about um, your priorities for the rest of 2019. Um, I'm, I'm particularly interested in hearing about maybe any, any new products uh, you guys are working on uh, or new markets you're expanding to. Yeah, so, so globally, really, we, we, we've had a big focus on, on payables when it comes to cross-border payments, and this is all around sending payments out. The, I guess not quite a transition, but the, um, the evolution of our product is to make this all around a, essentially a global account. So the ability to support with payables and receivables. And I think receivables is a whole different challenge, especially here in the US. This is around how customers are getting paid from their customers in, in Europe and the rest of the world. So what you'll see with Currency Cloud um, in, in 2019 is a kind of a much bigger focus on creating this, this global account, um, which as I said, is, is the payables and receivables side of the platform. We'll be 
we'll have presence out in, in Asia, um, either by the end of this year or, or early 2020. Thanks to our, my lovely UK government, we now have presence in, in Amsterdam to counteract <laughs> anything for Brexit. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so we'll, you know, it's expanding globally um, and expanding, I guess, the platform capability. Not, not necessarily in terms of the kind of network reach. So we, we're not going to be a company that's in, in you know, 200 countries in the world. I think that has its own challenges. This is around servicing you know, the, the core currencies, the core networks with, with one global account. I lied about it being the last question. I have one more question for you. Um, I'm a product guy sitting in a potential customer, um, a prospect of yours. Like, What has to ha- go right um, to be able to have a successful partnership with Currency Cloud? So I think for us, it's all around identifying the problem you guys have and identifying the impact that that problem has and then working together to find the solution. And sometimes, listen, you know, we hold our hands up, the solution might not be us. You might just not have this problem. I think what needs to be right is you guys understand that you know, cross-border payments is a problem and how you handle it currently, you are not catering to the demand and the needs of your customer base. If that is the problem, the impact of that problem may well be around your, your plans for globalization or your, you, know, you are a very customer-centric driven organization. You want to offer a seamless digital experience to your customers and by not controlling the payment side of things you therefore can't control that experience if you get to that stage then the rest is pretty easy as i said we're an api company our apis are you know, this is my sales pitch our apis are best in class and um a lot, we have a, some really good customer feedback on that and you know, we went to the market as a, a tech-led solution so i think if you get to that stage from a product perspective and, and a, an engineer and developer perspective we're on a good path because then it's just around connecting the APIs into your workflow, which is pretty simple, um, and working together to help you, you guys service your customers. Richard, thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast today. Thanks, Zach. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>